0: The sermon text this evening is uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, the whole chapter, but I'm going going to just read verses 10 and 11. These are the words of God. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done. And on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity, and grasping for the wind, there was no profit under the sun. Let's pray. Father, if we find in ourselves desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical conclusion is that we were not made for here. And tonight, as we consider Solomon's search for satisfaction under the sun, I ask that we would see ourselves in his pursuit, that we would recognize the folly of living for this world instead of the world to come. Help us now, Holy Spirit of God, let your fire fall. We ask this in Jesus' name, and amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last week, we learned that everything, everything, under the sun is vapor. And it's vapor because death casts a long shadow over all that we do. We cannot escape death. We cannot slow time down. All of us will eventually die and be forgotten. This is the sober reality that we are born into. And Ecclesiastes is a book written to young people to help them come to grips with this. It is given to teach us how to live in the light of eternity. So last week I gave you a kind of an introduction, a survey of the book, and I also gave you the kind of the big punchline at the end was to fear God and keep his commands. And tonight as we continue through this book, I want to slow down a bit. And I want to make three stops on our journey with Solomon. We were using this illustration that we're kind of hopping in the car with Solomon. We, we said it was a Bentley, I think. So we're hopping in uh, Shlomo's Bentley. If you know Hebrew, a Solomon in Hebrew is Shlomo, and I think that's, that's actually much more fun to say. So, so we're hopping in Shlomo's Bentley, we're riding shotgun, and he's going to take us on a tour through his kingdom. And tonight we're going to make three stops. And we're going to consider three things that appear to offer us ultimate meaning and satisfaction, but turn out to be vapor. And with each stop, I want to answer two questions. What is the appeal, and why doesn't it deliver? What makes this vapor appealing so that we chase it, and then why doesn't it satisfy? So this will be a a simple exposition of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So our first stop is at Pleasure, And uh, if you have a Bible or want to pull out your phone, uh, maybe with the audio off, uh, we, we can, uh, you can follow along with me. It might be helpful. Um, in verses 1 to 11, we get a description of Solomon's attempt to find meaning under the sun. Back in chapter 1, verse 3, he asks, What profit has a man from all his labor? And he's asking, other translations would say, uh, what advantage or what gain has a man from all his labor? And he's asking, is there any lasting benefit for all the stuff we're doing all the time? Like you get up, you go to school, but why are you doing this? Why? So you can get a job? Why? So you can make money? Why? So you can like buy a house? Why? So you can have kids? Why? So eventually you can send them to go do the same thing and on and on it goes. Right? You're in this cycle. And according, if you if you actually just read the first uh, kind of, let's see, three to eight verses in chapter one, uh, nature is actually already telling you that everything is vapor. He says, the sun rises and the sun goes down. It does that every day. Sometimes it's so cloudy, you can't tell. Uh, but he says, the wind, it goes south, then north, and whirls about on its circuit. The rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. And so if you just look at nature, it's telling you there is a cycle to life and we're all caught up in it. He'll say it's wearisome, it's laborious, it's vapor. And so Solomon wonders uh, in chapter two, what about pleasure? Maybe nature is this vaporous cycle, but what about pleasure? satisfying our senses. Maybe there's something solid and substantive there. So he says to himself in chapter 2 verse 1, come now, He's he's talking to himself, he says, come now, I will test you with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. Now mirth is not a word that we use very often, but mirth is amusement, especially laughter. It's the result of entertainment and it's why comedians exist, for us to enjoy some mirth. You think how many of us like a good laugh or we like to hang out with funny people? You know, being funny is kind of like a virtue. It's a good thing. And so Solomon says, what if I surround myself with mirth and life becomes one big party? Is there some profit there? And then in uh, verse three, he adds wine to the mix because, you know, you laugh more when there's alcohol. This is why comedians go do comedy in nightclubs where they serve lots of alcohol. And do you want to be the first up? No, you want to be like the fourth up. So you can just walk on stage with a dumb look on your face and people are already laughing, right? <laughs> so, 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 okay, I got this This mix of mirth and wine. And he says, I searched in my heart how to gratify, gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom. And this is an interesting verse he's indulging his flesh with wine but he's not getting so drunk that he can't think straight and you think perhaps he's perfected exactly how much wine will keep the buzz going without pushing him into drunkenness this is the science that people try to figure out is it like what what's the rule Uh, a glass of water with each drink or something there's all these different you know uh, myths about how to keep the buzz going so you can drink as much as you can well, uh, in scripture, uh, wine is a good thing properly used, right? Drunkenness is a sin, of course, but we are actually commanded to drink wine every Lord's Day, right? This is, this is the meal God has given to his church till kingdom come. Psalm 104.15 says, wine is given to gladden the heart of man. And so Solomon seeks out to live in this perpetual gladness of heart, and he thinks, maybe wine is the key. You think about this kind of uh, uh, two-fold uh, pleasure plan of wine and mirth. And in our day, this might be the person who lives for the weekend. They live for those nights they can just stay in bed and watch Netflix for 10 hours. Or maybe they're like, no, I want to go out and dance. Let's go to Etsy Bravo. Let's go to Pullman. Let's go to a nice restaurant. Let's laugh and enjoy some good wine, be glad, and forget a hard work week. Okay? There's nothing, remember, there's nothing new under the sun. This is what you do. This is what we all do. But Solomon tries this, and he does it way better than you. Okay? like Solomon's parties, Solomon's comedy, Solomon's wine was way better than you. We're going to find out later this dude's got gardens. Like he's, got, he's got wine. It's coming right there. The wine's right there. Uh, so Solomon tries this and concludes, you know, this also is vapor. Because eventually, the joke's not funny anymore. The party ends, everyone goes home, and it's Monday morning all over again. And so he says in verse 2, I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? The weekend is only a temporary reprieve from our toil under the sun, and that work week or that school week is always coming. So Solomon says, well, all right, what if I just embrace work? and give myself wholly to that what if i can find everlasting pleasure in my vocation in my job and then in verses four to eight he then describes all the building uh, projects that he's got going and all the things that he gathers to himself Uh, i'll just go down the list he says uh, i've got houses multiple vineyards for all that wine gardens orchards fruit trees water pools to water the trees notice everything here is Plural. Of course, all this cannot be done by one man, so he acquires servants. Verse 7, male servants, female servants, servants born in my house. There's whole families of servants in Solomon's household. He continues, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. Solomon loved animals. If you actually read 1 Kings 4, I believe, it tells you about the other exotic animals that he had coming to him. And you you might even say Solomon is one's like the one of the first scientists. So he's, he's studying. He's a brilliant man. He's the wisest man that's ever lived. All the nations are coming to him. And so he gets he gets a lot of cool stuff. He says, "I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds." All right? So so you just subscribe to Spotify. Solomon just says, "I'ma get some personal singers for me, male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kind." <clears throat> so this is the man that was so rich; silver was as nothing to him. First Kings 10:21 says, "All King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold. All the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver." And then here's the line, silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. All right, so this guy's like rich, rich. Anything he wanted, he could have. <clears throat> and this is just <clears throat> excuse me, and this is just a sample of his pursuit of pleasure. It goes on. He says in verse 10, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Right, think about that. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. I think, imagine if this was offered to you. It's kind of of scary, actually. Whatever your eyes desire, it's yours. Riches, fame, power, beauty, sex with whoever. What do you want? What would make you happy? And at what point could you sit down and say, I'm content. And this is what Solomon is seeking out. He continues in verse 10 For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this, referring to these pleasures, was my reward from all my labor. So Solomon didn't just like hit the lottery, okay? He worked really hard. He was being fruitful, he was creating jobs, producing art, architecture, science, literature. He's building culture, he wrote music. A 1,005 songs, 3,000 proverbs. We just heard Matt Gray read some of them to us. And some of his songs were so good, they made it into scripture. Have you ever heard of the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon? So he's a brilliant guy. He's accomplishing things. I mean, I can't say I have anything that was put into scripture, but Solomon has a bunch of stuff. He's a wise man. But for all that, for all of these achievements, he says in verse 11, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. The most profitable man alive says there's no profit. So let's answer our two questions. What is the appeal of pleasure? The answer is kind of self-obvious. It's Feels good, right? It feels good. We want to be happy. This is a universal appeal. Pleasure is that which we desire. Blaise Pascal famously said All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they use, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both to be happy. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. Think about that. Everything you do is pointed towards this end. You want to be happy and you want to be happy forever. He'll say, I believe in chapter 5, God has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot cannot find it out. Second question is, well why can't this pleasure deliver? Why can't we get no satisfaction? And the answer is because you can't take any of this with you. It's not permanent. However great and pleasurable your life is, however much laughter or wine or money you got, it all still comes to an end. Do you see what Solomon is doing? He's running ahead of you. He's trying to show you the end of all the things that you are currently pursuing. I'll give you an illustration. Have, Have you ever climbed a mountain or just gone on like uh, a steep hike, let's say. All right, let's just start with a hike. Has anyone walked anywhere? <laughs> um, you got here, right? I hiked from the parking lot. Well, have you ever gone on a hike and uh, maybe you, you got, got out there a little late and there's some people who got up super early and they already summited the thing and they're on their way back down the mountain and you're walking and, you're pa- and they're passing you and you're passing them and you maybe will say something to them, you know, get a drink and say how much farther is it until the top you know how is it worth it is it worth the view to to go up there what's it like you know something to keep you going because I mean who likes hiking (laughs) well (laughs) well this section of Ecclesiastes is Solomon coming down the mountain and passing you and he says you know there's a long way to go it's a really steep climb and when you get to the top, there's nothing there. So, unless you just really like hiking, you're wasting your time. And I like hiking, okay? Um, so, so, what mountain are you climbing? What pleasure are you chasing? Whatever it is, Solomon already been there, done that, and he can tell you, you know, I had it in spades and it still couldn't deliver. There is no profit from pleasure under the sun. Jesus will put it this way. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world only to lose his soul, right? Jesus can give you the whole message of Ecclesiastes in like 10 words. It's pretty great. So you can either keep climbing the mountain or you can obey Jesus. You can listen to Solomon. Which will it be? From pleasure, we move on to look at wisdom. And this is our second stop. And if you think about wisdom, don't, isn't that like a good thing to pursue? I mean... Isn't the point of this whole book to make us wise? We call Ecclesiastes wisdom literature. Well, yes, we are to be wise, but remember, we are talking here about life under the sun. And the truth is that whether you are wise or a fool, whether you listen to this sermon and do it or or don't, all of us are going to die. Death does not discriminate between the preacher and the hearer. The wise man. And I'm not calling you fools, but you're foolish if you listen to this and don't obey it, right? No amount of wisdom can exempt you from death. Just like the animals, we all rot and decompose, wise man and fool alike. Now, of course, we know at the end of the book that that's not the whole picture. There's still that perspective over the sun. But uh, let's just follow Solomon's logic here and see what he's doing. He says in verse 13, Then I saw that wisdom excels folly, as light excels darkness. So he's saying wisdom has real benefits for life because you at least see where you're going. The fool lives in a dark room. And it doesn't really matter if the room is a palace, if the lights are off. Wisdom excels light as, uh, uh, wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. Wisdom is flipping the lights on in the room so you can at least see and enjoy all those pleasures that we just talked about. But he goes on and says in verse 15, as it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. You could tell he's not happy about this. He says, and why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, this also is vanity. For there is no more remembrance of the wise than of the fool forever, since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die? As the fool. Therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me for all his vanity and grasping for the win. So Solomon's a wise man and he comes to this realization that he's going to die just like the fool. And that makes Solomon say, I hated life. I hated life. And maybe you're wondering, is that okay to say? Is that Christian? Is Solomon sinning by saying this? I don't think so. I think what Solomon is doing is what Jesus tells everyone to do in John 12, 25. He says, He who loves his life will lose it, and he he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You know that verse. Have you ever wondered what Jesus meant by that? Well, he means look at the world. Look at the world soberly from Solomon's perspective. Consider the vapor you were born into and how nothing ever lasts. And in a world where sin has corrupted everything, no amount of pleasure, no amount of wisdom can offer you permanence. And so the best you can do is not live for this life, but to live for the next. And that means hating your life. Hating the way that sin has corrupted it. Hating the way sin has corrupted you. The reason Christians die, just like everyone else, is to put off the last remnants of our sin. This was actually a theological problem for me at one point. I wonder, okay, if God justifies us so that we're declared righteous, we're forgiven, if all my sins are forgiven, why do we still die? Right? This is a real problem. And, and the answer is that you have to die because sin has infected your body, and this is part of Jesus' victory and your union with him. Okay? Jesus had to die so that he could rise again. And so you also, this is why Jesus dies, so that you can be united to him. So that death is now a doorway for you. It's you putting off this old body of flesh. All right, so if you're a Christian, you are declared righteous. And then at the judgment day, you're going to get a new body that is physically really righteous and glorious. But not until that day. So listen to Jesus. Listen to Solomon. And if I can give you one exhortation, it is to hate your life. Hate your life in this world that you might gain it for eternity. This is just like Jesus saying, if you want to follow me, you've got to hate your mother, your brother, your wife, your kids. He's not saying hate them like, I don't like you little brat. He's saying hate them in comparison to how much you love Jesus. Your loyalty to Christ is above everything. And your loyalty to the life to come should far outweigh your time here. If you think about this just from a purely, uh, you know, weighing the odds perspective, would you rather have, you know, 80 years, or I'll give you 120, 120 years of perpetual party, pleasure, achievement, for everything you want, like you get it, 120 years, or do you want that forever? It's, it's a pretty simple proposition when you put it that way. And it makes you wonder why people still live for the 120 years when eternity is coming. And Jesus says, you're a fool to love your little 120 when that's going to be unspeakably small in the light of eternity. And so Solomon is trying to help us get this perspective. This is true wisdom that looks beyond life under the sun. Our third and final stop is really a synthesis of pleasure and wisdom and for simplicity's sake I'm just gonna call this one work work okay uh, so we already visited Solomon's building projects and in verses 18 to 23 he ponders what uh, he ponders what will happen to it all after he's gone and he laments the fact that he has to leave his kingdom and all that he's put into it to someone Who might not be as wise as he? He has to leave it to someone that might turn out to be a fool, someone who might not appreciate all the work that he put in. And he says in verse 18 Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled, and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. All right, so this is compounding Solomon's frustration with wisdom. And do you know who inherited Solomon's kingdom after him? His son, Rehoboam. And was Rehoboam a good guy? Nah, he was a fool. Rehoboam has this choice as soon as he is installed as king, whether to listen to the elders, the wise guys, or to listen to all his buddies. And who do you think he listens to? he listens to his buddies, and what happens? That united, glorious kingdom that was the center of the earth, the greatest monument to civilization, they had like 40 years peak, and then you have his son do something stupid, and the entire kingdom is torn from him. Ten tribes become the the northern tribe of Israel, and then the two southern tribes of Judah, and that's how it goes. And then 722, the, the northern tribe is going to fall to Assyria, and 586, the southern tribe is going to fall to Babylon. This is what happens with the, the handoff. And Solomon can see this coming. And this is a problem for him. He says, this is a great evil on the earth that the wise man labors only to hand it off to a fool. I mean, consider all the uh, seminaries that are now the Ivy League schools today. Right? These Ivy League schools, once upon a time, were given to train ministers for the ministry. Theology was the queen of the sciences. Theology was king. And yet now what are they? Th- that's where the left lives. It's where apostasy reigns. And this is a great evil on the earth. Covenant succession has always been a problem. And how often the heads roll when regimes change. Solomon continues in verse 22 and says, For what has a man for all his labor, and for the striving of his heart with which he has toiled under the sun? For all his days are sorrowful, and his work burdensome. Even in the night his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. So get this, not only do fools squander kingdoms, the work of building that kingdom is itself burdensome. Right? You know work is hard, the ground is cursed, our heart never rests in the night, our days are full of sorrow. It is a sandcastle world we live in and the tide is coming in. So where does this leave us? Solomon concludes this section in a perhaps unexpected way. He says in verse 24, this is his kind of little summary conclusion for this section, he says, Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. If you were here last week you already know how this book ends judgment day gives meaning to the vapor and it is this knowledge of judgment day that allows us to hate our life the way god commands but also to rejoice in life the way god commands And so solomon is saying everything is vapor but the vapor is a gift and the enjoyment of simple things like a hot meal a glass of wine and a job well done is God's gift to you in the midst of that vapor. He says, This also I saw was from the hand of God. We'll close with this. There are essentially two ways of approaching pleasure, wisdom, and work. You can either demand from these finite things that which only the infinite can give, which is the definition of idolatry. You can demand that these finite things satisfy your infinite longings, or... You can receive these things as temporary but good gifts from the hand of God. And you could observe uh, two people doing the exact same thing, but the difference is this one is doing it idolatrously, and one is doing it righteously. Idolatry, on one hand, squeezes everything until it's dry. And you have gratitude, on the other hand, that remains open. Open to give, open to receive that which the Father wills. One is a posture of faith, the other is unbelief. So I tell you today, as a young person, before you've really started in on some great scaffolding of a building project, do not settle for the shadows of worldly pleasures. Trace these beams of light, Up to the sun, trace these gifts of pleasure and wisdom and work to the eternal glory that will make all of this mist evaporate. That infinite longing in your soul is meant to be satisfied by the infinite God. He is, as Augustine says, the end of our soul's restless search. That satisfaction, that glory is offered to all in the gospel It's why Jesus lived. It's why he died. It's why he rose from the grave. To offer wicked sinners, fools like us, something imperishable, right? You who are constantly changing, God wants to give you something that is unchanging. You who are very corruptible, God wants to give you something incorruptible. You who are defiled, God wants to give you an inheritance that is undefiled, that does not decay. Your body, oh man... I'm 30 now, and it's starting to break down. I got a pin in each of my knees, and I can't wait to get a resurrection body one day. I can't wait to see people that have been lost. I can't wait for the glory that is to come. That glory is coming. Judgment Day approaches. And if you trust Christ and hate your life in this world, you will save it. And Judgment Day will be only the beginning of that glory. May God grant us all to reach that day by faith. Let us pray together. Father, I ask that you would sober us to the reality that we will indeed die and we will see you face to face, that we will answer to you for everything we've done in the body, good or bad. I ask you would help us to relate to the things in our life correctly, that whether we're in school Pursuing a degree, pursuing a vocation, pursuing some kind of job, pursuing a wife or a marriage or some, whatever it is. As we pursue that, it would be done in faith. Not as an ultimate thing, but a good thing from a good heavenly father. And I ask that that faith would pursue righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. It would pursue the things of the kingdom. That it would be willing to lay its life down to mortify its own sins for the sake of your glory, that glory that is imperishable, that glory that we live for, that glory that will actually hit the spot of our infinite appetite. So quench our thirst. Do it for these students. Do it for this campus. We ask this in Jesus' name and amen.